Welcome to the TWS Sports Podcast. How dare Draco Malfoy tell Martin Brundle to go away? Lewis has stitched me right up here. He's supposed to be my mate. Midway through the flight, he suddenly decides that they want to put me in the overhead locker in the plane. Everybody in the Bears team found all these mouldy hairs in the bottom of their bag. Felt his hand on me. And I look back and he says, we're going to get this picture, champ. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the TWS podcast. It's lights out and away we go. Hello, my name is Simon Lazeby and I'm a presenter on Sky Sports. You may have seen me present sports such as the F1, international rugby, England cricket and golf from around the world. However, I wanted to come and give you some information about the TWS sports podcast. The TWS Sports Podcast is the only podcast in the UK which is hosted by autistic students who interview some of the biggest names in sport. Each week, they speak to a different sports person and delve deep into their lives, talking about the highs and the lows of their career and what makes them a top athlete in their sport. The TWS Sports Podcast were voted the best sports podcast in the world that promotes social equality. They picked up that honour at the 2021 Sports Podcast Awards. So if you're a sports fan and want to hear these great stories with questions from some amazing young people who promote autism, then the TWS Sports Podcast is the podcast for you. Tenderwood School is a school for autistic children and young adults and we have set this podcast up to provide our pupils with a fantastic opportunity to develop a range of skills whilst interviewing top sportsmen and women from a variety of different sports. Join us today on the TWS Sports Podcast is a former footballer and manager. Mm-hmm. He played for Bury and Reading and has managed teams such as Bradford, Bolton and now Wrexham. Welcome to the podcast, Phil Parkinson. Good afternoon. Nice to meet you. Firstly, I just wanted to say a massive thank you for giving us the opportunity to visit the Racecourse Stadium and speak to you in person. It means so much to us. Thank you. No problem. It's a pleasure. If you have any questions for us throughout the podcast about our experiences of sport or anything about autism, then please ask. We like to answer your questions too. Okay. We like to start our podcast with some quick, some some random questions before we start talking about your career. Are you ready? Yep. Okay. Who is the most famous person in your phone book? Oh. Probably Alex, Sir Alex Ferguson. Not, <laughs> not that I call him, but obviously when he was a manager, I'd call him about um, a couple of players many years ago, so I've, I've uh, still got his number in, in my book, yeah. If you could trade with lives with anyone for a day, who would it be and why? Oh, blimey, these are, these are good questions. Um, yeah, I think um, the Prime Minister. You do a better job than he Just did. step in his shoes for the day and see what... But which you prime know, minister? Everyone says, oh... They, they've all made a mess of our country. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, right yeah, just uh, just see because, you know, everyone says a football manager's job can be pressurised, but obviously when you're running the country and all the decisions you've got to make which impacts on so many people, um, you know, it would be, it'd be very interesting. If you could have any superpower, what would it be and why? Oh, I think to fly, to okay. get to places quickly, to get across over the busy roads mm-hmm. and just, uh, yeah, supersonic kind of mm-hmm. propelled and uh, mm-hmm. get from A to B quickly. Yeah, it also 
be a good way to run away from from people you don't want to talk to. That's good. You're right. Like your like like family members who are angry with you. Yes, <laughs> they're well, especially terrifying. Yes. Thank you for answering those questions. Let's chat about your career. Okay. We want to take you back to the beginning and talk about your childhood. What are your memories of growing up, and did you always want to be a footballer? Yeah, ever since I can remember, I wanted to be a, a footballer, and my my dad was. Uh, Loved, had a real passion for football, and uh, you know, ever since I can remember, I played, and uh, yeah, I think you know, football is in the culture of the, of the country, isn't it? And uh, you know, dad's taking the sons to, to to a game of football and soaking up the atmosphere. A great early childhood memories for me personally. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, d- I had a determination to be a footballer from mm-hmm. a very early age. I bet there were some incidents when you were a kid where a window decided it was a goalpost. <laughs> Possibly, yes, possibly. Um, yeah, I think, you know, when when I was growing up, that you know, it was that era of going on the field and playing football all the time in the summer holidays. And, and a window paying the price. And, you know, just playing in your garden, cricket, football and sport. And I think it's a, it's a healthy way to, to grow up, to, to be out playing sports, you know. And, uh, yeah, you know, I'd, uh, you know, a lot of great, fantastic memories of, of playing in local football teams and... Uh, yeah, still got some good friends to this day. You you started your career at Southampton. They are well known for having a really good youth setup. What are your memories of that? Yeah, well, I was from uh, Stockton on Tees, which is in the northeast, and uh, Laurie McMenemy was a manager of Southampton. He was a very famous manager, and he was originally from the northeast. So we set up an academy in Gateshead, which was. Uh, so we used to have Monday night training sessions up there. And um, Southampton, as you rightly say, had a great reputation for developing young players. So I'd had the opportunity to go to quite a few clubs, but went to Southampton. And um, obviously a very famous player Southampton got from that Northeast Academy was Alan Shearer. And, um, you know, so it was very worthwhile for Laurie McMenemy to, to set that up because he knew the Northeast was a hotbed of football. Um, so yeah, great experience leaving home at 16. I think that toughens you up quickly and being so far away from home as well. Um, you know, you have to get through those periods when you're inevitably homesick and, uh, yeah, just, uh, develop that mental resilience you need in life, but also in football. We would like to dig a little deeper about your Southampton days. We spoke to Saints legend Matt Letizia on the podcast last year and we recently got in contact with him. You came through the youth system at a similar time and Matt told us to ask you about your coach, Dave Merrington's, and his interesting coaching sessions and punishments for your wrongdoing. Oh, that's a great question. Oh, dear. Well, this is going to be fun. You know, first of all, Matt Letizia, you know, I could talk a long time about Matty because he was a year younger than me, but... You know, people say he's the best player you've played with. And obviously I came up with Matty in the youth team and Matty was a genius of a footballer, an absolute genius. And if any young people are listening to, to this, if you get a chance to go on YouTube and watch Matt's 100 greatest goals, watch that because that is an extraordinary video of some outstanding goals. Dave Merrington was an inspiration to, to a lot of young players. I still in touch with him now to this day. He was tough. He was tough, but he explained why he was tough and standards had to be high because he wanted to prepare us for, for life. You know, first of all, if you stay football, there's lots of ups and downs. And as a young man, you've got to be prepared to, to deal with those. 
what he used to say to us, if you don't become a footballer, I want to teach you standards that if you go into another walk of life, you'll be on time, you'll be smart, you'll be polite to people, you'll, you'll be humble. And yeah, there was one day that we, uh, as apprentices, you had to collect all the equipment after training and we left the ball at the training ground and we had to do 50 laps of the Dell pitch. Um, Just for, for yeah. getting a single round small yeah, ball. Exactly. And there was another game we, we got beat at home to West Ham on the Dell and uh, we were supposed to be off the next day and it was so rare to us get days off because uh, we were always training and working and um, we're in the dress room and he said, what time do you think you're in tomorrow, lads? And we thought we had the day off. And Craig Maskell said, nine o'clock, Dave. He went, six o'clock in the morning. And he, we all had to be in at six o'clock in the morning. And uh, But he he was tough, but he was fair, you know. And uh, he's a great guy. And all you did was lose a match. I know, and you lost the day off. Yeah, but he, he was tough. But, you know, it's probably, you know, an old school kind of way. But, um, you know, the, every player, though, who, who came through that system with Dave respected him and um, looks back on those times with fond memories. Mm. I suppose you could have been given worse punishments like cleaning, cleaning the team's socks, boots instead of practising. Exactly, exactly. Could have been worse. Yes, right, yeah. You had a great career at Reading and are a club legend. How would you reflect your time at the club and what is your your standout memory? Uh, yeah, Reading, you know, amazing part of my life. My three kids were all born in, in Reading, uh, played there for 11 years. Um, I always feel that it was a great club to be at because I was part of the transition from Elm Park to the new Medeski Stadium. So Reading kind of overnight, this new stadium was being built and the, the old one obviously was had a great feeling to it, but obviously the club needed to progress. So moving to that stadium transformed Reading into to a, a different sphere altogether. Best memories, you know, the promotions, one under Mark McGee at Elm Park and the second one under Alan Pardew. Um, and, you know, promotions are always hard earned. And uh, um, both those promotions with a great group of lads in both teams, um, you know, I'll remember for a long time. When you retired, you moved straight into management. How did you find the move from a player to a manager? Very, very good question. Honestly, management is a whirlwind. And I remember my first couple of weeks as a manager, I was thinking, it can't possibly be like this all the time. And it is. And every manager you speak to, if you spoke to the managers, will, will tell you that managing is an all-encompassing job. Things are always on your mind. You know, you might be out walking your dog, but you'll be thinking about what team you're going to pick or what training session you're going to do the next day. Um, and... Yeah, as a player, it's great because you look after yourself and you concentrate on what you've got to do. But managing is very rewarding, obviously, when you win and do well, but equally uh, can be very challenging. And as I've got older, it's getting that balance right between having time with your family and working. And, you know, one great kind of lesson I've learned over the years that um, if you're in the club, seven in the morning till seven at night every day, you sometimes you can't see the wood for the trees and you... You need sometimes to take a step back, go and have a walk somewhere, away from everyone, turn your phone off. And sometimes in those periods, decisions come to you, things evolve and you get a bit of clarity. And, you know, as I've progressed as a manager, you know, I've learned that. And, um, yeah, experience is a fantastic thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure, sure being able to take a walk is useful when you get a very stubborn player that refuses to cooperate. 
I'm sure you've had a few. Yeah, I think players, I think most important part of my job is man management and speaking to people and getting to know the lads because they all want to do well. And sometimes if a player is having a, a, a poor period in terms of his performance, there'll be underlying reasons for that. And you know, it's up to myself and the staff to to find those reasons and to help them through situations. And you know, it's quite easy. It's as easy as a manager to say write players off and say, "All right, he's not done well. We're not going to pick him anymore." But the challenging thing is to say, "Okay, he's not playing well at the moment. How are we going to get him back to what he was?" Because every player who's at Wrexham at the moment has got talent, and it's up to us to get the best out of them. Mm. What did you find most difficult in your early career as a manager? Um, losing. Mm. I think that when you lose as a manager, it hits you like a ton of bricks because you take all the responsibility. So I think that the biggest one, um, because when you win, you feel you know, invincible, but when you lose, you, you feel, oh, should have done this, should have done this, why did you know? And you start questioning question things, which is only natural. Mm. Um, but as I spoke about earlier, I think the the time management is is such a key thing, and um, you know, you it, the biggest mistake I think a manager can do is try and do everything. You know, have a coaching staff, but want to do all the coaching sessions because one thing that does it demotivates the people who are working with you. You've got to employ really good people and trust them to do their job they're employed for and give them ownership in in the roles and. I think if the manager's voice is on the train ground all the time, the players, because you're doing the team talks and half-time talks, the managers, the players, when the manager speaks to the end of the week, you want it to have an impact. So it's great to have other staff who are great on the training pitch. We are going to skip a lot of your career, I'm afraid, as we want to talk about Wrexham. But before we do that, we have to ask you about your time at Bradford. You did an amazing job there, reaching the League Cup final and also beating Chelsea. What are your memories of those cup runs? Yeah, just incredible, really. Um, you know, when I took over Bradford, it was they were right at the bottom of Division Two, and um, my first job was to keep them in the division that year, and managed to do that. And the second year, as you rightly said, we we got to a major cup final, which um, for a team in the fourth tier of English football is, is history making. Um, and then that year we also got promotion so the memory of that the way the city kind of lifted with that um, success was incredible and then you know moving on to the Chelsea game you know that still kind of when I talk about that it still makes me almost a bit emotional because um, you know 2-0 down away at Chelsea and to beat them 4-2 you know under Mourinho's team who were uh, you know, so good at home, very rarely conceded goals, never mind got beat. You know, was 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 great and the atmosphere of the six thousand Bradford fans behind the goal was just 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 brilliant. And, you know, everywhere I go I bump into Bradford fans and you know that those games you mentioned are the ones they want to talk about. Is it true when Wrexham asked you to be a, be the manager, you said no at first. Why weren't you convinced about joining Wrexham at first? I think initially I was away on um, holiday. It was just after the COVID um, period. I was away oh, on the holiday. Oh, the dreaded C word. Yeah, <laughs> no one likes that word. <laughs> and um, yeah, I, I just had an initial chat. And obviously I, my previous club was Sunderland. And 
I was a bit concerned about dropping into the, the National League because one, I had managed at that level before and two, like everybody, you're um, ambitious. Um, but then I spoke to the owners and got a deeper understanding of what their aims for the club and the journey they wanted to take Wrexham on. And once I'd had that chat, um, I very quickly started thinking, well, this could be a, an incredible opportunity to be part of a club um, which can grow. And, you know, similar to what I said about Bradford, that, you know, the owners, you know, wanted to impact the area and a successful football club can do that. And so far, we've done a decent job of that. There's still a long way to go in terms of development of this club. Uh, but, yeah, that was really the reasons. When were you convinced and who convinced you to join Rex and... Yeah, it was really when I had a chat with the owners. You know, um, the initial chat was with Rob McElhenney and you know he just explained about the vision and also why they'd bought Wrexham as well. Because um, you know that's an interesting story in itself. How they'd identified Wrexham as a club with an incredible story um, in terms of being out of the league for so many years and and you know kind of the stigma as a, a football club with the history of Wrexham to be out the um, league structure and obviously that they looked at the catchment area and just yeah so listening to that story starting to look at things myself and yeah so so pleased I came on board You got off to a difficult start at Wrexham and this team struggled to gel football terms how did you find those first few games of your first season at the club? Yeah, I mean, there's a big change around. Obviously, um, when I came in, there was a lot of work to be done. And up to Christmas, I never felt we had a squad which was good enough, um, really. And I, and I kind of felt that if we could stay in touching distance up to January, we would have done well. And, you know, sometimes the, the kind of exposure the club had about the ownership and um, you know, the documentary and everything... Um, you know, doesn't win your games of football. What wins your games of football is the quality of the team, and we were short in areas. Um, and you know, to play for Wrexham with the kind of challenges and the kind of expectation, you need a certain level of player to deal with that. And uh, it took us a couple of transfer windows to get the, the squad in place, which I felt would take us forward. Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney are the owners of, of Wrexham. How involved are they in the club and how often do you speak to them? Um, yeah, they're very involved, very uh, engaged in, in everything. And, uh, um, yeah, I exchange messages with them. You know, I do speak to them, but obviously I, I speak with Sean Harvey um, more because, obviously, you know, myself and the staff are identifying players we want to bring in. Sean then puts deals together, what it's going to cost, and then we liaise with with Rob, Reiner and Humphrey as well. Um, but yeah, in terms of their involvement, their passion, you know, when they come over, you can you can see, I remember the first game they came over to, it kind of, because everyone, it was almost a surreal feeling, you know, with the camera crew rounders, Rob and Ryan, the ownership, you know, famous um, stars, if, if you like, but, you know, obviously we hadn't met them and when they came over, it really kind of hit home. Um, you know, what this 
journey was going to be like and also it was great for the staff and the players to connect with with the owners because that's equally important and see their passion um, for the football club and I felt the first time they came over was uh, was very important. When was the last time you spoke to Ryan or Robin? Um, yeah, I'd say a week or two ago. Um, yeah, so sometimes you know we'd speak more than you know, other times in the summer. Obviously, there's not as much going on in terms of the game to game situation. Um, but yeah, no, they're they're involved and they're very engaged in what players we're looking at to bring in this summer. Do they know what's going on on right now? Uh, probably not, but I'm sure they'll watch it and uh, hope that they will. And, uh, you know, wish you you guys all, all the best because. You know, I think it's great what you're doing, getting experience of doing this, and <laughs> let's see what it can lead to, eh? Yeah, yeah. we'll see. Yeah. You never know. <laughs> there is a lot of media linked with the club, which is great, but I imagine at times can take the focus away from the football pitch. Have you had to remind the players to focus on the football, and how distracting can everything else be at times? Yeah, I think that's a very, very well thought out question, because... Yeah, it's extraordinary in terms of the, the press attention Wrexham have got had for, for a National League club. Um, and obviously since the documentary came out, it's not just in this country, it's you know, in particular America. And I think that's one of, been one of the challenges of getting that balance right between you know, making sure commercially the players do their bit to, to help the club moving forward. But equally, once we're in to train, we're in to work, once a whistle goes in Saturday afternoon, you know, we're representing, you know, a working class town um, of supporters who want to see the lads roll the sleeves up and, and play with real passion and, and showing the performance they, they understand and care about the club. And I do feel that we've got that balance pretty well so far. We've got to continue to do that. And um, But I feel we've got a good senior group of players who drive the standards for us and kind of don't let the others get carried away with, with kind of all the hype whilst also enjoying that side of the club as well. Okay, so we are here currently in Birmingham at the Millennium Point at the 2023 Education Awards. Here with Tom. Tom, let's go back to yesterday. So yesterday we went to Wrexham and recorded our podcast of Wrexham. How do you feel that episode went? Well, I was absolutely ecstatic because I've always wanted to visit Wrexham after watching a few episodes of Welcome to Wrexham on Disney Plus and just to chat to Phil himself was an absolute honour. Yeah, it was really good. And again, we went to the race course, um, yourself, Alyssa and Jacob, and we spoke to Phil. We had a tour in the stadium, which was really good. What do you think of the stadium? The stadium just absolutely had the atmosphere. Like, even without people in there to watch a match, I could still, like, envision what it would be like during a match. It's just it's got that overall aura to it, which just stands out. Yeah, it was. It was incredible. And tonight we're here in, in Birmingham, as I said, at the Education Awards. And we're up, uh, the podcast has been nominated for an award. We're currently um, just waiting for the awards to be announced. So we're a bit off, but we're all here having a nice time. Tom, what are you looking forward to most about tonight? Well, the, the two main things I'm looking forward to is, is just to see, you know, ours being included with the nominations. And then also just to, just to be around the table chatting while we're eating, really. Yes, so it's um, going to be a really good night. Again, Tom, Alyssa and Jacob and their families are here as well. So there's, there's 10 of us here in total. We're going to have a really good night. There's lots of um, 
schools and universities from around the country that have been nominated. So fingers crossed you win. Um, all the best. So, yeah, hopefully we'll win. I'm sure you'll find out on our social medias if we've won. Tom, your time with the podcast is, is coming to an end. So your time at Techno Wood is coming to an end. You're moving on to to bigger and better things. How have you? How do you look back at your time at Techno Wood? Well, I look back at it with fond memories because, to be honest, when I when I started the podcast, I was a bit 50-50 on how it was going to go because I was a bit like nervous. But I still kind of sense in the long run that it was eventually, hopefully, going to go somewhere. And I just I feel like with the amount of guests that I've had the opportunity to chat to, it's it's definitely fulfilled my need for sport and also just to overall engage with all those different people. Definitely, and you've done such a fantastic job with the podcast. You've developed so many skills. But from your point of view, what have you enjoyed most about the podcast and what skills have you developed? I'd say the two main things I've enjoyed the most about the podcast is, one, you know, getting the opportunity to not only go to different stadiums but different events and then... The, the other thing is just to get more involvement in sport in general because truth be told, before the podcast, I actually wasn't that interested in cricket but ever since then, that's one of the sports that I've actually grown interest in because of the podcast. Yeah, brilliant. We spoke to a lot of cricketers and the Ashes is happening right now. Um, England are struggling a little bit but fingers crossed by the time this goes out on Tuesday, England have, have won and have pulled it back to, to 2-1, so fingers crossed. Tom, tell our listeners, where, what's the future hold for you? Well, the, the future holds for me, I'm just going to basically in, enjoy my time at college and study as much as I can. And ever since with the help of Technoworld School and Aldersley, I've been gaining work experience and so has a few other people in class. And one of the opportunities I got was to work in a charity shop, the Salvation Army, and that's kind of given me more enthusiasm and experience to gain myself for when I hopefully get the chance to work in retail. Brilliant. Well, Tom, thank you so much for your time with the podcast and throughout Technical Wood you've been amazing for the podcast and it's been amazing seeing you develop and grow as a person and the opportunities that, opportunities that you've had have been incredible so thank you so much for being part of the podcast I'm sure we'll stay in touch I know you'll stay in touch on social media and watch all our, our podcasts and our journey so hopefully we'll bring you back next year I'm sure there'll be an opportunity to speak to you again so thank you so much Tom and all the best thanks again and Make sure to tune in, people, for more podcasts to come. Thank you. What was your biggest challenge in your first season as manager? Uh, that first pre-season was difficult because it was COVID kind of um, problems in terms of um, people missing training and, and things. And we never really got a good feel for the squad and... Um, yeah, and also for myself, that getting to know the division, and you know, you look at, you know, football is football, it is, um, but it's understanding the level you're operating at, and um, that was new to, to me, um, and it took me a little bit of while to adapt to what um, was needed, but you know, quickly after the first few games, thought, you know, I know what we do need to, to really push us on. We have brought a selection of photos with us from your time in football. We will give you one photo at a time and can you please tell us where the photo is from and what memories the photo gives you, please? Oh, well, obviously, the, the promotion, um, the picture with the trophy with, with Rob and Ryan and, yeah, that's uh, one which will stay with um, me for a long time and, and all my family because... Is that uh, a sunburn? A very, I do look very red, actually, yeah. Um, but, yeah... 
just incredible day. Incredible day that 15 years of pain at the football club came to an end that day against Bournemouth. Um, this one? Well, yeah, that was my testimonial um, when I was at Reading, it comes to the end of my career, and um, we put together an England 11 and Paul Gascoigne came down to, to play in it, and you know, amazing personality, character, as well as player, um, drove all the way down from Glasgow to play in my testimonial, and was just uh, what an incredible guy. Sounds like something from a courthouse <laughs> testimonial. <laughs> Oh, that's, uh, yeah, me and Billy Sharp having an altercation. An altercation? It's, it's, actually, it's actually, it's not as... Uh, Who died? It's not as bad <laughs> as it looks, actually, because there was... Uh, Billy was having an argument with someone behind me and I was actually grabbing him to stop him getting involved and that's... Even though it looks like I'm grabbing him by the throat, I was actually uh, kind of stopped the, uh, something escalating and something worse. Well, incredible day for the football club and um, you know, myself shaking hands with the King and um, yeah, what a day that was, just uh, just very special. This one that looks like the printer ate the colours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's um, a team photo when I played for Bury, the club I played for prior to, after Slampton and prior to, to Reading and um, yeah, some... Uh, some good players in that picture, and um, yeah, yeah, some, uh, these Sammy McElroy. A lot of them have um, moustaches. Yeah, Sammy McElroy, <laughs> one of a, a very famous Manchester United player, is, is in that, probably the most famous person in that picture. You know, Kenny Clements played for Man City. Um, yeah, some good players. Yeah, that's the, uh, the picture of the, uh, the um, Capital One Cup final. Um, obviously, we great achievement to get there on the day we got well beaten by an amazing Swansea team but the standout as you can see in the background the Bradford fans is just the kind of day out and the way our supporters just embrace the day yeah that's the obviously the open top bus and uh, the end of the season always special moments because you kind of work hard during the season and my daughter's with me there um, and you know, you kind of put your head on the pillow at night as the season's drawing to close and thinking you dream of those nights and, uh, yeah, it was incredible to be part of it. Now to hopefully not put any um, sour stuff on this moment, but <laughs> <laughs> I apologise. I apologise if this turns the sweet into sour, but in your first season at Wrexham, you lost in the playoffs. What did you change in the pre-season to help the club push on more in the, the following season? Yeah, well, obviously the, the playoffs is always hard in the manner of the, the defeat. Um, but very quickly we, we looked at rebuilding the squad and, and we identified the areas we, we felt needed strengthening and brought some excellent players in but also got a stronger kind of strength in depth. And that was the key that we were able to cope with injuries as the season went on and... Uh, where the previous season injuries towards the end of the season proved very costly. Can you talk us through how buying and selling players work? Do you have overall say on what happens and how involved are Ryan and Rob in it? Um, yeah, so the, the process, I think every club has a, a kind of way of operating, but you know, myself and, and the rest of the staff, look at the players and scout them and watch them, speak to agents, speak to the managers, build a kind of profile up of the players we want. 
And the next port of call really is Sean Harvey, who kind of um, negotiates with the agents um, the player's contract. And if there's a fee to play, he'll go direct to the club. So then he kind of puts together um, what it's going to cost. And then at that point, um, you know, Robin Wright, by this point, are, are kind of in the loop of where the conversations go in. But it comes to a point, right, this is what the overall package is going to look like. Is everybody still feel this player is value to us going forward, and that's how it works really. And um, yeah, some some deals you get over the line, but it's great having you know Sean's experience you know with us at the football club because um, you know he's good at knowing you know when to stick and when to twist, which is you know when to push a deal a little bit further or when to say enough is enough. Wrexham. Have gone from a club in North Wales to a worldwide club that rivals lots of Premier League clubs in popularity. How have you found the last, the very fast increase in worldwide popularity? And I guess it is something that you haven't experienced before as a manager. No, I mean the only kind of the experience of the documentary and um, a lot of American uh, tourists coming over and coming to Wrexham. You know that's been great to to talk to them. I went on holiday into in Europe this year and to Greece and there was a lot of American tourists and a lot of them came up and spoke to us about the club and um, yeah, so that was, uh, yeah, didn't really expect that but it was great and the, the knowledge of the team, you know, I was astounded by really that they'd been watching all the games and following everything, every, every, every step along the way. The fans at the... Race course have created an amazing atmosphere. What is it like to have these fans behind you, and what do you think it will look be like when the new stand is finished? Yeah, now that's that's be um, you know, really important to to get the, the stadium complete. Um, playing at the stadium, managing the stadium, um, I think it's quite a unique atmosphere. It's um, there is. Uh, a real intensity and we always try and use the, the passion of the crowd to impact on our performance and uh, you know my motto to the lads and the staff when we, we approach your games that uh, you know we want to make it difficult for the opposition to come here and play and you know with a, a kind of drive and determination of the team um, you know in the main we've done that. Last season will probably go down as the best season ever in the National League. You and Notts County battled it all season. Heading into the season, were you confident you could achieve promotion because getting out of that league is so difficult? Yeah, I mean, pre-season, kind of, it took us a while to bed in the new players we had. Um, but I felt we'd made significant improvements in the transfer market um, and you know, we, you know, I was very pleased with the players we, we recruited. Um, and there's so much work goes into getting those players in. You know, the process which I spoke about. But you know, for every player you sign, you've looked at another seven or eight in a detailed way in that position, and it's building up a, a kind of list of right. That's the number one we want. If we don't get in, we go to that one. Um, and yeah, the players have got to fit your style of play. But the players' personalities have also got to fit into the existing group you've got as well. And creating a culture um, within a football club is so important. And you know, we as a, as a staff and everybody connected with the club 
has worked hard to, to bring in the right people into this football club. PicturePath is an award-winning visual timeline app that's empowering individuals with autism. This free app provides a simple way for users to plan out activities, such as going to a match or a theatre, using structured timelines that reduce stress and anxiety. Users create a visual timeline that caters to their specific daily needs, allowing them to prepare for activities, events and routines. PicturePath provides a structure that enhances communication, promotes independence, improves memory recall and supports users to manage their day with confidence. Whether for personal use or in educational settings, PicturePath is the ultimate tool for individuals with additional needs, empowering them to manage their schedules, track progress and enjoy more activities. PicturePath, download the app today. You saw a red card last season and have a very enthusiastic vocabulary. I'd rather not know enthusiastic, what well, kind of enthusiastic, but... <laughs> How would you, would you describe yourself as a manager and what sort of manager are you? Yeah, I think the uh, kind of sometimes the passion of the game and um, you know gets the better of everybody and that's only natural. Um, you know, I want to win. I've got a fierce passion to win um, and that's every game. As a manager, yeah, I'd like to think that you know, I'm good at working with the staff um, and listening to everyone's opinion. And because I think that's really important that you know that people like Steve, who works assistant manager, um, Dave Jones, Aidan Davison, and uh, you know, have all got a strong opinion, and that's what I like. I think that's healthy that when you sat around a table like this having a staff meeting, everybody should feel absolutely free to. to well, I disagree. I would do this, and I love that. You know, mm -hmm. I think that's really healthy, and you know, I've tried to create that. And um, you know, I think in in any management position. You don't want people, yes men, who are going to agree with you all the time. You need people who are going to challenge you and come up with other ideas. And um, you know, ultimately, as a manager, you've got to kind of absorb all that and then go away and, and make your decision based on, on what your thoughts are and, and factor in everybody else's as well. If we asked that to the players, what would they say? Um, <laughs> I can't resist, I'm sorry. I'd like to think they'd say, oh, I'm fair. It's... A tough job being a manager because you can only pick 11 players, you've got to leave players out of the team um, and sometimes you have to have tough conversations and I had countless of those last year and like I said, we, all the lads are, 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 are good people but sometimes, especially when it came to the real cut and thrust and everybody wants to be involved in those games, you know, there's some tough conversations with players not just left out of the team but off the bench but um, I always find it's best to front those conversations up. You brought in Ben Foster last season. How did that move happen and what was it like to have Ben in the team? Yeah, well, we, Rob Layton got injured um, on the Saturday against Bromley and um, Rob and Ryan instantly messaged me on the Sunday and said, what's your thoughts? And I said, well, Mark Howard's out the team alone, but he's done well for us unless a, a significant improvement uh, in terms of goalkeeper comes available, you know, Mark's more than good enough to get us over the line. But then during the day, um, we'd spoke to Ben Foster's agent and he kind of fancied the challenge because he's got a great history with the club. And by Monday, I'd had a Zoom chat with him. And by uh, Wednesday, he was signed. And listen, it's, it was tough on Mark. We did well, but it was... We couldn't turn down the opportunity to bring in a goalkeeper of that quality. And, um, yeah, Ben was just great for us. He just 
made some important saves, gave us a real presence in goal um, and trained really well and his professionalism is what you'd expect from a top premiership goalkeeper. Do difficult situations bring the best or worst out of you and can you recall a time where you have been in a difficult situation? Um, yeah, I mean, lots of times, like I said earlier, that sometimes as a manager you you have kind of sleepless nights because you know situations need resolving and like I said I, I, my experience of those is you can't let them fester in your mind you've got to deal with those situations and you're always best being open and honest with people um, as much as you possibly can um, can I remember a particular one which highlights that at this moment um, probably not um, but I think in management and in football the there's a lot of tight decisions have to be made and that's transfer, team selection, substitutions and you need good people around you to, to discuss those decisions but it's getting the big calls right which ultimately determines the success of a football club. I want, you, want to take you to the 10th of April 2023. Re- Wrexham played Notts County in or at the race course. Yeah. That is probably the biggest non-game, non-league game ever. Can you talk, take us to before the game, how were you feeling and what were the players like? Yeah, well, we'd got beat to Halifax on the Friday. It was our first defeat for a very, very long time. And uh, we came in, uh, trained on the Sunday, picked the team, happy with the team, very pleased with the training session. And then Jordan Tunnicliffe, unfortunately, his back went into spasm, so we had to change the team round on the morning of the game. Um, yeah, I think I was pleased with the preparation. Um, we'd done a lot of homework on Notts County and what we feel we had to do to win the game, uh, both defensively and offensively. And on the day, I thought we implemented it really well. That game was the best game I saw all season better than any Premier League game or Champions League game. Take us to the 96th minute and Ben Foster's penalty save. What was that like for you and what was it like after the match? Yeah, I think the if you remember, the, the ref kind of turned away and he wasn't going to give the penalty. I think the linesman, from his um, difficult angle, um, influenced his, his decision. And um, so it was a bit of a stunned silence in the ground when he gave the penalty. Um, and then yeah, just a moment of um, pure drama when Ben saved the penalty. And after the game, he couldn't help having a euphoric feeling. But we had to quickly get the lads' feet back on the ground because um, we hadn't achieved anything at that point. And, uh, you know, but it was, it was quite difficult to put a lid on it because... Um, there was just a buzz about the ground. It was just an amazing feeling in the dress room. Honestly, it was just uh, everyone was on such a high. And uh, but you know, I've been in those situations before, um, and it's kind of yeah, okay, enjoy it. But you know, we've got some work to do yet. Um, with the organisation of the players, would you say you get any nickname from them? Oh, I don't know about that. You'd have to ask the players that. <laughs> you have some big names in this team and sadly, not all of them can play. How do you, as a manager, keep everyone in the team happy? 
Yeah, well, that's the, the most important players in the squad are sometimes the ones out the team because, you know, if they're sulking or they're disaffecting the group, it can obviously have a negative effect and that's why character is so important. So, yeah, communication with those players and um, make sure that their standards remain high because when you're out the team, you know, I don't mind. I will speak to anybody at any length of time uh, about why they're out of the team, and as long as they train properly. Um, you know, do you work on the pitch? Then I'm more than open to, to speak to people because if you don't train properly, when your opportunity comes next, you're not prepared for it, and you've got to make sure that you're ready to take your chance. You won. You won promotion after beating Borham. Borham Wood. Borham Wood. You were one to, one nil down after forty seconds in the mat in this match. You didn't make it. You don't make it easy to. You don't make it easy, do you? What are your memories of that game and and after the game? Yeah, um, yeah. Obviously, going to go down, um, but there was an air of calmness about us because. Um, we knew the game plan we had to implement to, to create chances against Bournemouth. Wood. We played against them before. And, yeah, once again, a stunned silence uh, came over the racecourse ground after the goal. Um, but the lads just quickly gathered the thoughts and, you know, we remained... You've got to kind of... Don't let instances in game kind of influence the game plan and it's important to reset quickly and we did that and... I always felt we'd get goals against them. Um, I know that is easy to say now after the event, but you know I felt if we played the way I knew we could, um, we'd have a great chance. And after the game, was just the, the scenes were just incredible. The pitch invasion, the impromptu party after the game, and just everything about the night was was incredibly special. And um, we'll live in the memory of everybody who's at the ground or in a pub somewhere in Wrexham watching it. Um, or involved in the actual game themselves. What was it like to have the bus parade through war? Wrexham. Wrexham. Yeah, that that was just... I don't think anyone could believe the turnout on the night. It was just thousands of people lying in the streets. I think it was uh, only scheduled to be about 45 minutes and it took us hours to, to get back to the race course. But it just, I say that those are the days you dream of. 45 minutes to get back. Jesus. We really do got some big fans. After the season had finished, the team went to Las Vegas. You didn't go with them, but can you tell us about that trip or is it a case of what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's... Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. got thing. drunk and did what? Yeah, I think what was... It, yeah. Obviously, when I said on the, the TV, or not on that Vegas trip, and loads of people said, oh, how come you didn't go to Vegas? But, you know, the, it was important for me that the staff went away and, and all the staff, that the owners treated us to a trip to Portugal. And, um, you know, in a football club, that's really important because there's a lot of work goes behind the scenes from the staff throughout the season. And it was very important for myself and Steve Parkin to spend time and show our appreciation to, to all those people who work so hard through the season. And equally, you want as a manager, you want the players to have let their hair down and um, you know, just enjoy the time. 
they had a fantastic time. Um, they really did. One of the uh, one of the great moment in the summer was when uh, um, Rob McLenney got a message from some of the security guys over the our players, and um, basically it said that um, of all the groups they'd looked after over the years, that our our lads were the most respectful, and um, every doorman, every waitress, everyone who came across them was full of praise for their conduct, and you know that meant a lot to me when that came through because. You know, when you when you play for a football club and you're representing a famous club like Wrexham, wherever you are, you know you are you are still wearing the shirt, even though you might be out and um, celebrating or you might be on a night out. And it's important that your conduct uh, reflects the club in the right way. Last pre-season, you played the likes of Nantwich Town and Nottingham Forest under 21s. This pre-season, you are off to America to play against Chelsea and Man United. Do you have to pinch yourself at times to believe this is real and how important is this pre-season? Ouch. Well, I mean, it's, I think it's a, it's a different pre-season for us because, you know, I've never been on a trip to America for two weeks in pre-season. I've tried to go to Europe or Ireland, you know, close by. Um, but... Commercially, it's so important. It's a great opportunity for us to have those profile of games. So we've had to structure it slightly different. Um, we've had to adapt our build-up in, in, in a few few ways. Um, but what an opportunity for a club at this level to, to go and play in, in the United States for in those high-profile games, and, and we're really looking forward to it. What areas of the squad are you still looking to improve ahead of the new season? Um, yeah, just I don't think we need loads of players. We, we've already got 20 players plus, um, but if we can bring in one or two key players, then, then I'll be happy. If we didn't and we were with the same squad, equally, I wouldn't be complaining. Paul, Paul Mullen has had two amazing seasons at Wrexham. Lots of Welsh fans are asking for him to be called up into a Wales team. Do you think this is something that Paul would want and do you think he deserves a chance? Um, I think the best indication of, of Paul as a player is how well he did against the championship teams in the FA Cup this year. And um, I think, and I, I remember saying to him before, I think it was a commentary game, that they'll, they won't expect you to, to be as quick as you are or, or as good as you are there. Because quite often happens, obviously, at a higher level, they underestimate the, the, the players. And, uh, you know, if you get a chance to look at those games, you know, Paul gave some very good defenders really difficult afternoons so yeah of course he's got to be in the thinking of Rob Page and um, I'm sure he will be close to that What are the expectations for Wexham next season? Yeah I think the the expectation is, is to be competitive again um, I think the bookies have made us favourites is that justified as we stand at the moment? Um, I'll probably say in a couple of weeks, I'll, have a, I'll tell you that clearer when hopefully we've added one or two more. If we don't see how pre-season's gone and see how we how the players have kind of developed because there's players in the squad, I feel there's more development and growth in them. So yeah, expectation is to be right up there again. Can I ask a question, Phil? Um, just coming to my mind. Salford are... Uh in League 2 and very similar in the way to Wrexham yeah. big owners very famous yeah. doing documentary and they've gone through the leagues and have not struggled in League 2 but 
they have out of league two yet. Yeah. And I think got the playoffs this year. Do you think it's not going to be easy to get out of league two? But looking at like Salford, is there going to be a big big challenge? And what difficulties do you think they'll have this season that are different to the national league? Um, well, obviously it's the better quality of teams. Um, I think that the top teams in the national league will at least hold their own as they stand now in Division Two. Um, but you know, every game in, in Division Two is going to be like a top-end game in the National League. So it's going to be like a Chesterfield or a Notts County. So you just higher quality opposition each week. Um, there's a lot of teams, Chillingham, Bradford, Mansfield, for instance, who not have not been spoken about so much in terms of recruitment, have, have invested already. So yeah, now it's going to be a, a huge challenge, but this one in a few weeks' time, I hope we're ready for. So we're still here in Birmingham at the 2023 Education Awards, and I've grabbed Alyssa this time. Alyssa, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Are you looking forward to this evening? Yes, I am. So we're here just before the awards start, just milling around, having a drink in the chat. Alyssa, what are you looking forward to most about this evening? Well, I'm looking forward to I'm looking forward to being able to sit down with my fellow podcasters, and hopefully, we'll win. Hopefully, yes. So I'm sure you'll find out on our social media. If we win, we'll, we'll definitely let you know. And it's nice to come with your, your family. So you brought your mum with you? Yes. yes. Is it nice to experience opportunities like this with your family? Yes, it is. Yeah, brilliant. And it's nice for your mum as well, I'm sure, to see you outside of school with some of your friends and teachers as well. I'm sure it is. Because <laughs> out here, you're not te- my teachers. You're my um, grown-up friends. I know. I'm, I, I'm not your boss anymore. So you can, you can do what you want. Can't, I can't stop you. Um, so yeah, fingers crossed we win. So Alyssa, thank you so much for being a part of the podcast this year. Looking back on the the whole year, what have you enjoyed most about the podcast? Talking to all the guests, they were, they were all amazing. Thing I loved hearing about their stories and about what they're planning to do, and I wish them all the best of luck in the future. Brilliant. And and yesterday we had an amazing day. Yesterday we went to Wrexham, spoke to <laughs> Phil Parkinson. Yeah. Looking back at our time yesterday, what did you enjoy most? I talking to everybody, I guess. The locals, our interview person. Um. So we had a look around the stadium as well, didn't we? We went in the, the shop and we had a, a nice meal before the, the interview. Yes, we did. <laughs> Brilliant, Alyssa. Well, best of luck. Fingers crossed we win. Um, and thank you so much for being a part of the journey on the podcast this year. And we will drag you back next year. Maybe not literally drag, because remember, dragging me into things will not end well. Well, that's very true. Maybe we'll, we'll entice you back nicely. Yeah. Falcon players is a big thing. Are Wrexham looking to bring in quality League 1 and League 2 players, or are you looking to explore players from the USA, given the increasingly popularity of Wrexham in the United States? Yeah, we are looking abroad as well. I mean, that's there's been a new rule brought in recently about the rules to bring a couple of foreign players in have, have been relaxed. So we are looking at those markets as well. Um, obviously, it's quite complex judging players in those levels. Um, so my answer to that question is we're looking across the board really and uh, um, we're trying to get the best quality we can for, for our budget. Wrexham do a lot for the community and really help people with a disability at the club. Also Paul Mullen recently announced that his son is autistic. 
How important is it to make football accessible for everyone and give people like us who are autistic the opportunity to attend football games regularly? Yeah, of, of course, it's, it's so important. And, you know, Wrexham, the, the club is really at the heart of the community and, and I think you guys have kind of gathered that in, in your, your homework on the club. And, yeah, it's... Um, we want to make it available to, to everybody and uh, you know we have a great yeah. women's team um, you know so much going on behind the scenes in, you know when, when a football club progresses then all areas of, of the club progresses and progress and um, yeah the community side of the club is improving to make sure that everybody has got that opportunity every week on the podcast we ask our guests to ask questions to each other so we want, so we get a guest to ask a question, but they have no idea who the question is going to be for. This week's questions come from our previous guest, who was a former Chelsea and Everton footballer, Pat Nevin, and he asks, "What is the one thing you're supposed to love but you don't?" Example, a type of music or a person or a food that everyone seems to love but you really don't. Ooh, that's How long have I got to think about the answer to that one? Um, soap operas on the TV? Is that a good, good answer? So many people love watching them and I've got no interest in them at all. Hey, if, if it's something uh, uh, most people like and you, but you yeah. don't, I say it That's counts. about the best answer I could give you off mm-hmm. the top of my head. Could you do the same, please? Can you think of a question for our yeah. next guest? But we aren't going to tell you who the guest is. The question could be anything you want. Yeah, this time next year, what, what, uh, what's, what one achievement um, do you want to be remembered for? I would just like to say a big thank you again to everyone who listens to our podcast. We really appreciate it. Please continue to leave reviews and pass our podcast on to your friends and family. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today, Phil. We really enjoyed speaking with you and it means so much to us as a school to be able to have the opportunity to speak with you. Thank you. That's a pleasure. I've really enjoyed it and I have to say some very, very well thought out questions. You've you've done your homework a lot, which is great from from my point of oh, view. Oh, believe us! And uh, yeah, but I can. We say, wonder, I, we wonder how we do, how can, we find all this info, whether or not we're still be looking at it. I can tell that you've uh, done a lot of research <coughs> and a lot of thought has gone into to making this podcast as interesting as possible. So well done for that. The TWS Sports Podcast combines autism and sport. This unique podcast is hosted by children with autism, and each week they interview famous sportsmen and women from around the world. The TWS Sports Podcast takes you deep into the sports star's career, their highs and lows, what happens away from the field of play, and so much more. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all other podcast apps. The TWS Sports Podcast, where autism and sports combine.